a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Menopause and Cancer podcast, where we speak with cancer patients, survivors and medical professionals to help us find solutions to our symptoms and ideas to improve our health. Hello, I'm Danny Binnington and today I'm joined by Dawn. Dawn shares with us her own personal experience of having to stop hormone replacement therapy because of her endometrial cancer diagnosis. She also shares with us the unexpected life transformations that come with a cancer diagnosis, and Dawn speaks about her quest to find out her own risk versus benefits of going back on hormone replacement therapy after her particular cancer diagnosis. Dawn's story is a testament to the power of self-advocacy as a patient. Dawn is incredible, and I'm so delighted to have this conversation today. If you've ever been in a situation where perhaps you've heard mixed messages and opinions from medical professionals about any topic, Since your cancer diagnosis, I think this episode is really going to resonate with you. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Dawn. How are you today? Thank you, Danny. I'm good. I'm good. As I've just mentioned, I've just returned from a Pilates reformer class, which is always gives me a buzz and then a warp. So uh, out in, out in by the sea, which is where I live, which was just beautiful and stunning and yeah, so feeling good. That's great. Um, Dawn, you and I met a few months ago, or is it a year ago now, maybe? It, it is more than a year, actually. It's more yeah. than a year. Yeah. yeah um, and you found your way into the Empowered Menopause Program, and there are so many things of your journey I wanted to share with our listeners. So firstly, thank you you know, for being brave enough to come onto the podcast, for trusting me enough to have this conversation. And it's such an honor to record this today, to have been a little part of your journey, but also to share everything you've gone through with everyone listening. Thank you, is what I wanted to say first. Thank you, Danny. You know what I feel about your support. So Dawn, you are four, no, five years into your post-menopause journey. And you're about 18 months post your cancer diagnosis. There is lots to unpick. Tell everyone at home first what cancer it was that you were diagnosed with. And then we'll look at your different experiences of the menopause. It was uh, endometrial cancer, grade one, stage 1A. So caught very early and to all intents and purposes, it was cured on surgery, which was radical surgery, removed everything. in terms of the womb, the cervix, and both ovaries with an added complication of an issue um, which I wasn't aware of, endometriosis, um, adhesions that were attached to my bowel and one of the ovaries as well, so uh, alongside fibroids, which I wasn't aware of. So yeah, lots going on hormonally. Yeah. And Before your diagnosis of your cancer, you were already in post-menopause. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that natural perimenopause menopause was like for you? Yeah, looking back, I realised how little I knew about hormones and the impact of um, both sex hormones and now subsequently just hormones in general. Very little, other than, you know, the basics. Obviously, I was aware of the fact that we had estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. I wasn't aware of the term perimenopause, you know, menopause, postmenopause at all. All I knew was that I'd finished my last period at age 57 and then in December 2020, um, was feeling horrendously unwell and I wasn't aware of you know the reason why but I thought that I'd got through what I believed was you know a, a stage of life and knowing what I know now I realize how difficult my perimenopause actually was for me. So with hindsight you shone 
a light on a big chunk of your life that was a difficult experience. And when you were going through it, did you think what you put those symptoms down to other things, life? No, no. I I kind of put it down to life stage, as in um, I'd been married for a long time, so relationship issues, you know, loss of libido, was um, just going through a difficult time relationship wise. Uh, my lack of strength, because I remember speaking to a physio about this. I, I couldn't physically, pick, and I've always been quite a physically strong person. I couldn't pick up my grandson uh, in the way that I wanted to. And, he's, and he again just said, oh, that's you're just aging. You become weaker, you know, your muscle strength deteriorates. Um, never challenging that, just accepting it. Having got two elderly parents and what witnessed them, which we discussed, um, witnessed them age in a particularly unhealthy way, as I I saw it. But it was the only way that they've you know they've known they've been in the system without the education that we've now got and the awareness that we've now got that I certainly didn't have at that time in December 2020 either. And it was only through, well, one that I reached out to the GP. Um, but even then, at that time, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's because we're coming through COVID. I think we'd just come out of second lockdown. I'd had my mum up stay with me for with us for a period of time. You know, maybe it's just about all the challenges, but the anxiety, the overwhelm, the joint tendons. I could have scratched my skin off the shit, you know, my shins, just fatigued, just horrible. I just felt horrible sufficiently for me to reach out to the GP. And, and you know, through perimenopause now, I realise that the awful migraines that I struggled with probably were related to hormone shifts, you know. I had no idea that, that maybe the groin um, and hip difficulties possibly you know, who knows, who knows, but just being more aware of it kind of made me feel a little bit easier on myself that I'd struggled through those times and I had come through them, but actually I probably didn't need to do it in the way that I did. So yeah, difficult. And what helped? Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. 73% of people who listen to my podcast haven't yet clicked the follow button on their podcast player. I want these conversations to reach as many women as possible who might need it. So if you've ever enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button now. What helped was I reached out. Then that fundamentally, I reached out. That was, you know, that was it. I actually uh, faced it, you know, I've said head on for the first time because I'd always kind of withdrawn from going through a system that I never had any faith in. I'm talking about a medical system um, because I'd seen how it failed my mum and my mum-in-law. I mean, I didn't know how, how, but I knew it had. Um, you know, they were on warfarin, they were on either high blood pressure, they were on um, statins, they were on, oh goodness knows, urinary incontinence, you know, horrendous, horrendous quality of life in so many ways. Uh, they both got Alzheimer's, um, both got osteoporosis, which I, you know, again, we, we, we spoke about. And I knew that that wasn't how I wanted to age. Little did I know what was going in the background. So I, I reached out and put trust in something that I had very little trust in, if I'm honest, even though I yeah. reached out. Yeah. But I didn't know where else, you know, I didn't know where else to turn at that time. I just didn't. And you probably felt rock bottom. Otherwise, you wouldn't give trust to something that you had very little faith in. What did the doctor do to help you? The GP was fabulous. Uh, I think what helped me in particular, because I've never been one to, as I say, to reach out to a GP, um, was we did, uh, because of COVID, we did um, a telephone consultation. So uh, again, I've blessed in so many ways. I got a GP who listened and heard 
and ran a full range of blood tests for me, um, which was the first time that I'd ever in my life had, a, what was I, 61 at the time, had bloods run. So I got a benchmark of, you know, markers that I could, which I've, I have used now subsequently, to look at my overall health. I mean, I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> you know, ultimately, I was in her hands and... It, it flagged up that my thyroid was subclinically hypothyroid. But when we discussed things further, I, I gave her pretty much the background that I'd just given you um, there about, you know, elderly parents, um, osteoporosis, all my symptoms. And what what the GP came up with was she didn't feel that it was my thyroid was causing the symptoms as I was experiencing them at the time. So she took me down a, a hormone replacement therapy avenue, which I brought them home <laughs> and I looked at them and, you know, I kind of thought, mm, how comfortable do I feel with this? Well, maybe it's worth a shot. But luckily at that time, I was also on Instagram and I started researching because again that's what I do researching posts and pages for menopause and this was 2020 so almost three years ago and as you well know things just started to explode in the menopause arena and there were so many so many so much information out there which was brilliant but you had to sit through it as you still do and find the things that are relevant to you and I quickly realized that brilliant GP listened to me, heard me, but she prescribed off the, I think, NICE guidelines and she'd given me um, eutrogestin, eutrogestin, um, but the progesterone element to not take continuously, even though I was three, two years, I think, at that point, postmenopausal. And I just thought, now, do I feel comfortable with this prescription or shall I explore it a little bit further? which is what I chose to do. And I chose to go down a private route. And I thought, I, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'll go down that route full stop. I was thinking, I just need more information before I know that I'm comfortable to do this, to take this path, which is what I did. Had a consultation and um, began to feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, but again, well, I, I, I decided to go all in. Uh, but the advice was, Start with estrogen only and bring in the progesterone element continuously six weeks after getting estrogen back into your body. So I went with that. That felt all right for me. I went with that. Um, you know, and I, as I've just said, I committed. So uh, that's what we, you know, that's what I did. Started off on one pump and went up to two, I think. And then by that time, it was the six weeks to brought in the progesterone element, the eutrogestin. And I started to bleed. I saw, I had quite a lot of pain. Uh, we were away at the time and um, really, you know, like a really bad period and started to bleed. And then that bleeding continued right up until, you know, I the advice was, oh, it'll settle don't worry too much about it because the one symptom I was aware of for, I don't know whether it was, probably was um, endometrial cancer at that time because I was more aware of things around, the, you know, your hormones and things. So it probably was aware of womb cancer. But I was still happy to sit and, and wait and say, right, let's see if things settle. Um, but they didn't. So in November, I started the uh, eutrogestan in the May. And in the November, I was still bleeding and um, I was still under the specialist clinic then. And she just, ref you know, said, you need to, we need to check this out. So she referred me to my GP who, again, heard me, but decided that because I was on HRT, pretty much the advice that I'd been given, um, she wouldn't refer me down the fast track to stop the HRT because that was the guidance in our area at the time. So there was no, you know, question about that. So I just got myself to a place where 
symptoms wise, apart from the bleeding, everything was everything was great. I was feeling like myself, everything was great. And all of a sudden, because I've got to go down this avenue of a diagnosis, stop what you're doing, even though you feel great, because that's our guidance. Um, and I'm not going to refer you on the two-week fast track. So, so Dawn, just to clarify, so the hormone replacement therapy really had a positive effect on how you were feeling. Massive, Danny. It was, I just felt completely and utterly like, as as so many people say, just back to who I was. And better, if I'm not, if, you know, if I'm honest, because it had been years and years and years since I'd felt that well. Was there ever a point where you thought, I wish I had started earlier? Oh, God, yeah. Looking back or did you not? You did, yeah. Oh, God, as soon as I started to realise, um, bear in mind I have a 46-year-old daughter, you know, it was like, it was just, I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I could make sure, damn sure that my daughter and all her friends knew what I now know. Um and by no means do I know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, you know, I'm not a professional person, but as a lay person, my knowledge base now is so extensive, you know, compared to what it was. And, and when you have females in your life that, you know, you just want to share that information with them so that they don't have to struggle. They can still make the decisions themselves, but they don't have to struggle in the same way because... It was a struggle when I look back now. And maybe maybe things could have been different. I don't know. You know, you don't know. We're never going to know those things, are we? But um, I would have liked to have had the opportunity to try and possibly wouldn't be in the position that I am now with the metabolic health that I've got. Yeah. So the bleed, the bleeding then was investigated and you were diagnosed with endometrial cancer. The, I, I decided to go I decided to go privately, Danny, um, because the way at that time was because I wasn't on a fast track um, and the, uh, the clinic had their own facilities for that. So I went and had an ultrasound scan privately within the space of 10 days, I think it was. Um, and the ultrasound found that my the the lining of my womb was slightly thickened but nothing con to be concerned about and I had quite significant fibroids and the recommendation was to have a hysteroscopy so I went back to my GP with that and um, then she referred me to on the fast track so I was on the fast track and I got to see a gynecologist because it was the Christmas New Year period I think mid-January 2022. When were you advised to stop your HRT? Was that before the actual diagnosis, when you were on the fast track, or was that after? The HRT had um, immediately that I went on to... The, well, don't forget, I'd been advised to stop the HRT before the ultrasound scan anyway. Okay. Um, but I didn't. I didn't. I chose not to because I was feeling so well and I knew that that was just their policy and there was really no, for me, real reason to stop it at that time. So I chose not to. But when I was referred on the fast track, I just felt I needed to, to do that at that point. So I did. I stopped it in January 2022. And how did you feel after stopping the HRT and with a cancer diagnosis, I mean, that's a double whammy. Oh, gosh, the cancer diagnosis obviously took over on so many levels because I was, um, I had to follow up for the results because they had to have a second opinion. Um, so it was three weeks before I got my results. Um, and then I was in having, you know, the surgery 10 days later after my results were February 7th, 17th, February, I was in having surgery. So my focus was very much then, you know, from that diagnosis um, on surgery, getting myself as fit and able as I could for surgery and then into recovery. So kind of the 
the HRT element I wasn't even considering at that time, if I'm honest, Danny. I mean, life changes with a cancer diagnosis and it changes to the unknown and it brings up things that we don't anticipate and it brings things into the sort of forefront of our minds, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a crazy crazy experience. You then also, you are dealing with, as I mentioned, as a woman, you know, the feelings around everyone else as well. And for want of a better word, I never felt a burden, but it's there in the back of your mind, you know, that they're going through this hurt and uncertainty and all of that. And also bear in mind that I had two, three elderly parents that I chose not to share my the extent of why I'd had surgery with them because, you know, that was my choice. Um, but there were others that, you know, you, you, so you, I knew I had to keep my focus on recovery and recovering physically, mm-hmm. whereas I think I put a little bit of the emotional element on a back burner for a good while um, and put all my focus in on, on trying to control the things that I felt I could, but as we both know, there's <laughs> very little we can control. Very little. When you and I first met, your question that you brought to me and the group and into our conversations was whether you should reintroduce hormone replacement therapy. You had recovered. It was a few months down the line from your initial surgery. You had been given very limiting Uh, limited advice on whether HRT was an option for you or not, whether it was safe or not, given your particular cancer, your particular staging. I think you were even given contradicting opinions from different experts at the same hospital um, and you just didn't know what to do, but you wanted to make that decision because you knew how good you felt when you were taking HRT and the benefits for you. A few months down the line, that was never even a question anymore. We started to unpick and really think about all the other things that you wanted to do, how you were feeling, why that was a question. Talk me through a little bit of that thought process, the guidance you had around hormone replacement therapy after your endometrial cancer diagnosis. Okay, well, my gynecologist and the clinical nurse specialist were very much against it. But again, I quickly realized that their knowledge was limited compared to what I could, what was out there, you know, at this point in terms, even though research, as we both know, um, is is very limited, uh, you know, in, in terms of um, being able to assure, you know, somebody that it's okay to take it. It's It's always it's thought to be okay. You know, it's thought to be safe. There is, There are no guarantees. But then again, there are no guarantees in life, as you know, anyone with a cancer di- diagnosis knows, uh, and anyone really knows there are no guarantees. Um, so, yeah, my gynecologist and clinical nurse specialist was, were very much against it, but I pushed to actually speak to somebody with specialist knowledge because, uh, as you said, I did feel so well on HRT and it was gutting to me at the, you know, the time that I had to stop, I can, you know, I was just kind of, I suppose a little bit feeling sorry for myself, you know, cancer diagnosis, and I can't take HRT and I'd felt so well um, with it. So I I, I asked for, uh, to speak to um, the local area specialist, um, menopause specialist, which I had an appointment um, in the August or September, um, so probably six months after um, my surgery. And it was um, probably, it was was about half an hour late, which I was aware of because, you know, it was stated in the letter. Half an hour late, and at the end of the day, so the, the consultant had had a working day, but I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel listened to. I felt very much I was given a prescription, um, and to be 
to be honest, I felt it this time it was just something that I wasn't willing at all to even consider because the consultant put me straight back onto two pumps of estradiol, um, no progesterone and um, testosterone um, as well. So for this consultant, there was no contraindication with HRT. What's so interesting here is that so many women and so many women have, for example, breast cancer. There is a big conversation that about the limited um, limited amount of studies we have and done on very few women. And actually, we know very little. But I feel like we can't keep saying there isn't enough evidence because we can't keep saying that because it's yeah. still not serving women. But yeah. what's so great to hear from you, I mean, it's not great, it's rubbish, but what's interesting to hear from you is that it also applies to other cancers. And I want to speak about every cancer, not just about breast yeah. cancer, because I think Absolutely. the menopause affects everyone. And there are so many women with um, gynecological cancers who are also in a real muddle, given conflicting information, like you had been yeah. given conflicting information. So you walked away with a prescription for estrogen, but decided not to take it. I actually walked away with a prescription for estrogen, eutrogestin and testosterone, because when I challenged that, given that I'd had um, a diagnosis of, of quite significant endometriosis and an endometrial cancer that was hormone-related and everything that I'd heard and read had advised that we should also have progesterone even though we don't have a womb anymore because of that background history. And, she, and, and you know, the, it was, it, it just blew my mind because she said oh yes yes that is the current advice so prescribed progesterone just blew my mind blew my mind so I immediately went back to my GP and asked for another referral which I'm sat waiting for for uh, Dr. Talabica in October so I had to wait full year for that appointment and I'm so glad that I have because because I am another year down my journey, I have had, while I've had, you know, the cancer diagnosis, I've also, as you're aware, had a suspected cancer diagnosis for my thyroid because what I now know was uh, is thyroiditis because I'm still struggling with it, um, flagged up suspicious cells from the biopsy. And I went back. Um, went for my first consultation and the consultant again so lucky he heard me he listened to me and I you know because of the time like from the biopsy to when I actually saw him I was feeling much better the swelling was reducing um, feeling much better he was a very experienced consultant and he just said hmm could be even though we've had an MDT meeting and we want to remove half your thyroid um, which I, you know, he saw this time Stephen was in the room, so I saw, you know, the impact of a cancer di potential cancer diagnosis as well. He, he, he tried his best and he said he would take my, um, what I was feeling back to the MDT. I signed the papers for surgery and everything. They listened to him. They recommended a core biopsy. So I had to have another biopsy and this time it was a more extensive biopsy and this, the uh, results of that was uh, that it was inflammation and thyroiditis. So no <laughs> removal of the thyroid. I mean, you are, to me, the absolute perfect example of what it means to advocate for oneself as a patient. Maybe a little bit late in your perimenopause, menopause <laughs> journey, but maybe... <laughs> Oh, Danny! If only, if only you, if only I knew what I know now, twenty years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that is the reason why I wanted to share that story because it's so normal. Because you can't beat yourself up for not knowing what you didn't know. No, and I, don't. I think the same goes for doctors. The same goes for doctors because I know and speak to so many GPs who said to me, Danny, when I was starting practice twenty-five years ago, I now know all these women came into my practice with menopause, perimenopause symptoms. We didn't talk about it. I didn't know. I know these women were underserved. This is a whole generation of women and you fall into that 
generation of women and it ends with you. I fall, I fall into it. My mom, my mom-in-law falls into it, but they're, you know, they've even, they've been underserved even m- more, uh, more detriment yeah. in some ways to their health because they're sat here in their mid eighties with all the conditions that they've got. Which is which is kind of where I was going to say to you that a year a year on and speaking to Dr. Talolika when I do because of this thyroid issue, I also and because my GP has been brilliant and so supportive and I've made sure again advocating because I was speaking to someone earlier about that you you if you're not careful you can get to see so many different GPs and and throughout the thyroid issue I did because I just wanted it sorted. I did see a couple of different ones, but I then waited for what I call my GP. Yeah. Because she has my history. She knows me. I I know that I'm going to be heard when I speak to her. And she's 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 just been absolutely brilliant. But again, I've had to advocate for that in a system that doesn't doesn't enable that very easily. And it's just not on. It's just not on for people. And it takes a lot of strength doesn't it? It takes strength, it takes courage, you need to be organized, you constantly feel like you're swimming against stream and you're running uphill and it takes a lot of effort and it can become a real project. When we started to unpick of why you wanted really to know whether you should go back on HRT or not or whether uh, what were your benefits um, for it, what were the contraindications and you really wanted to find out, um, by that time, you actually felt a little bit better. You didn't have the same awful symptoms than you had when you were first started your menopause journey. And we started to unpick a little bit. And a lot of our conversation was around you worrying about your bones because of your mother's experience of osteoporosis. And you worry about your brain health, again, because of family's mm-hmm. experience with Alzheimer's. Yeah, absolutely. It was the aging because when we did the vision, you know, the vision part of the empowered menopause, it was the aging element. I realized very quickly that part of what had got me to December 2020 was that I was actually quite depressed about aging because of how I felt. I kind of could see myself going down the same path in some ways, even though I knew I was a very different person um, with very different life experiences. Health-wise, I just hadn't got a clue, Danny. I really, you know, I hadn't got a clue. So, yeah, there was an awful lot of concerns that had taken me down um, a path that I'd become quite anxious about. The overwhelm wasn't about that, I don't think, but anxious and depressed about, um, you know, about getting older. Um, So, yeah, it it was all around that. We then decided that it would be a good idea for you to have a bone density scan. Yep, we did. So I asked for that and my bone density is fine. You've got excellent bones. I have. You've got excellent bones. (laughs) How did that make you feel? Thanks so much for listening so far. It means a lot. I make this podcast to support other women who faced a similar struggle to me. So if you know someone who you think might benefit from listening, please share a link with them. I would really appreciate it. Oh gosh, it's just reassuring again, I suppose. You know, having, like I've got the the baseline of my bloods that I can track now. It's just the way that my brain works. It's just really, well, it's either reassuring or you know you've got to do something about it. So, for example, the the bone density scan was great, uh, but again, I requested blood sugars because I know from reading wider that uh, insulin resistance, well, I'm pre-diabetic, Danny. I wouldn't have had a clue about that. That wasn't a normal, a normal blood check for my GP to make my, my thyroid obviously is out of whack for whatever reason and I don't know that I'm actually I don't know that I'm actually going to find out what caused the thyroiditis other than it possibly could have been stress um my cholesterol is you know more than creeping up um so and my blood pressure is higher than it used to be so all of those things around my metabolic health are a concern for me now 
And I spoke to my GP last week when we were talking through the last um, the last blood results because you know I'm I'm under because the consultant said that my thyroid might become and stay hypothyroid because of the high and and it's it's gone to the highest it's ever been my TSH. Um, so I I just asked the question: Can I can I just ask because all my all the guidance is around the fact that. There's no research. There's, you know, there's there's little out there in terms of assurance, but the guidance is that only go back on HRT for symptoms, which which I do have symptoms. There are symptoms, but not the symptoms that I had previously. But I just, you know, I asked my GP. I said, if I went back on HRT now, would that impact my metabolic health? And she said, oh, yeah, because estrogen, you know, all the estrogen is needed for so many elements of functioning in your body. So definitely, if you reintroduced estrogen, your metabolic health would improve of that, in her opinion. Obviously, this is just, you know, this is my GP. So she's not got specialist knowledge. Um, and I just thought, well, why aren't we, be, why aren't we? Given that information to him, I sat as a 63-year-old woman, you know, with pre-diabetic, even though I eat well, even though I exercise, I even though I'm reducing I my know. stress, you know, even all, even, 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 and all of those things, and yet I'm still sat here with high cholesterol, pre-diabetic, my thyroid's out of whack, and my blood pressure is... You know, and, and, and a lot of that, I suppose, to some extent, could have been the stress and, and, and everything over the last 18 months. But somehow I just don't think so. Somehow I think there's possibly more at play there that I, I don't think we're aware of because research isn't being done in that area. And I think you sum it up so, so well in that many women at home feel like you do, they say, I feel so compartmentalized. Like my cancer team was looking after my cancer and they're helping me reduce my risks of a recurrence. And when you were given guidance around introducing or reintroducing hormone replacement therapy, it was very much with the angle of what do we know? Are there any studies? What's the evidence of the use of HRT after endometrial cancer, right? And so that was um, in th that was how the conversation was influenced with the teams and the doctors you've spoken to. Your conversations weren't influenced about um, your bone health, your heart health, your metabolic health. And that is a whole different angle of having this conversation, isn't it? What we try to do in our conversations is to remove the big triggers, what might drive you towards that decision. And once you yeah. knew your bones were okay, we also knew, okay, you won't have to think you need HRT for your bones because your bones are okay. You're eating well, you're exercising. And so we wanted to really strip away of why you thought you wanted to reintroduce hormone replacement therapy so that we don't chase a dream and we think we need it for everything. I've got bad bones, I need HRT. In your case, you didn't. In comparison to your mother, you've got great bones. Yeah, um, because my lifestyle has been completely different. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was really important to know. Now speaking to you 18 months after your cancer diagnosis, you have other questions. It is yeah. that blood pressure, it is all of the other metabolic, um, the thyroid, all of the other things you have just mentioned. And you look after yourself in a 360 degree way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Darling. And when you go to doctors and when you go to specialists, they'll look at you in isolation. And I feel this is this is where we need to bring it all together because once we've had this amazing help by experts to treat our cancers and I speak to so many women who've survived and they still feel so worried about a cancer recurrence, that is obviously going to be your focus. But once your focus is also on living and your future, and for you it was a, a worry about your future, this needs to be taken into consideration because you're this one human being. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, we're discussing, you know, the aftercare of endometrial cancer is that it very quickly becomes patient led very quickly, you know, after, right. you know, the, the, the trauma of the diagnosis and everything. For example, I had a six week appointment after the surgery 
and then uh, another appointment in six months and then I became patient-led, which I'm happy, I'm happy to do. There's no issue around that. But then it's the the understanding that everything else then, as you say, starts to become compartmentalised again. So if you've got a symptoms like I had symptom with my thyroid, you get referred, you have to go through your GP. So you get referred, you're patient-led, but you don't go back to your oncologist, or you can go back to your gynaecologist um, or my clinical nurse specialist, which I did, and she was brilliant, and she put me in touch with the clinical nurse special specialist in the... Um, ENT department so I got a contact there again to advocate for myself um but you have to go back through the system so you you know you have to you know start going down all those individual avenues again and it's like it's like you you, you said earlier Danny it just becomes very wearing and wearying when you're not feeling well to to have that to deal with on top of everything else it's not um it's it just sometimes it doesn't feel even though that they're brilliant in so many ways it just doesn't feel like a health system it feels like it's um you know treat symptoms system and yeah even though i'm so grateful so 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 grateful on so many levels in one email you sent to me um, once, you said part of your journey was also, you describe it as transformational, enlightening and incredibly healing. And you said yourself, this is going to sound a little bit absurd even <laughs> after everything you've gone through in a cancer diagnosis. What do you mean by that? Like, I, what I mean, I suppose, is that through it all, reflecting on where I am now compared to where I was in December 2020 I think at 63 you know with the cancer diagnosis suspected cancer diagnosis other issues that have gone on I feel I'm finding me for the first time that's incredible and and actually one of one of the ways that I've done that, which you know might help other people as they go through their journey, is I found journaling. I've never used it as a modality, you know, in in any way because I never felt kind of safe. I think emotionally to do that, but to go through the emotional journey of a cancer diagnosis and a suspected cancer diagnosis and other things that have happened, I. I have three affirmations that I go back now and, and they've come out of this journaling part. And it's, I'm safe, I'm enough, and I'm loved. And they're what I wake up to every single morning. And, you know, it just, whatever happens now in life, I just know that I'm looking at it through a different set of eyes. And... And I know that I know that I can keep myself safe as safe as I possibly can. I know that whatever I choose, it's going to be enough for me because you know, in my rational mind, as opposed to a reactive mind, which sometimes it can drift into. But you can take a step back and can take a breath, um, and then, well, oh boy, I know I'm loved, <laughs> but I love myself, you know, and that. I think is a distinct difference. I'm enabling me who I am, accepting of me who I am, faults and all, flaws and all. And I do love myself and, and that's okay to do. So it's amazing. I'm worth taking care of. <laughs> I love that. And you know what I love so much about it is when you really unpick again, you still sit here, and I know that because we speak, you have some symptoms of the menopause. You've had a hysterectomy, you've got symptoms, but you feel a totally stronger, more enlightened, transformed person and patient, despite not having gotten rid of all of your symptoms. And this is a key message I want to share with everyone at home who might also be waiting for a menopause specialist, who might also be somewhere, you know, years on and still not feeling right. You can really improve the quality of your life and how you're feeling, how you're thinking, 
without having to get rid of all of your symptoms. And you've gone on a real journey. You are really um, one of those super resourceful patients that always researches everything. And I know you and I were trying to access different doctors to find research papers. You are so resourceful and driven. It's absolutely amazing. You still haven't got all the answers yet, whether what you're going to do with your HRT journey, but that's okay now, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely, absolutely is, Danny. It, you know, it really is because if, if nothing this year, you know, I was literally celebrating my first anniversary when the thyroid problem started. If nothing this year has shown me um, that whatever happens, I'll find a way. I'll find a way through it. I'm, I'm, you know, you've just. You've got to be resourceful. You've got to enjoy each day for what it can bring. Um, because none of us know no. how long we've got. And it is resting in the place of not having answers yet and being okay with that, right? Because the mind wants totality. We want answers. We want all the questions that we have. We want them answered and we want to just move on. And it's coming to the acceptance that resting in the place of not having answers can be okay, not forever, because I know, um, you, you know, you want to sort this for yourself, but there are moments and times and sometimes months and years where we haven't got the answers and it's making peace with that. Um, uh, for, yeah, on a lot of, in a lot of elements of life as well, not just health, you know, it's, it's across the board, again, as a human being, we're a whole range of, experiences aren't we and emotions so yeah it's um yeah it's been a life lesson yeah and I feel so privileged because we had so much laughter as well together you came to our yoga retreats in the February you met the other ladies or some of the other ladies from the empowered menopause program we've really created community as well haven't we so I think looking back we also have so many positives like we had all these difficult conversations and you know sometimes we're in tears because it's hard stuff right we've all been diagnosed with cancer and it's really hard stuff and when we look back we look look back at so many positive moments and our zoom meetings it's yeah such a blessing oh, as yeah. well isn't it that we've Commu community definitely is a is a big part i think you know whether that's um community like we created with the empowered menopause course whether it's a social a media community you know going with pages that align with who you are and the way that you want to live your life um your friends your, you know your family all of that extensive group because it, but first of all I think it has to start with you and that is that was one of my enlightening moments was the start of the empowered menopause course the vision you know actually sitting down and taking time when everything around you was crumbling to say, well, okay, how do I want my life? What do I want it to look like um, at this point, however long I've got? What, what does that look like? What will it feel like? And then from there, just setting some intentions around it, around your lifestyle around the choices that you make you know for me it was important not to be around negative energy I'm pretty I'm, I'm a kind of energy person you know I I I feel it and if I'm around negative energy it makes me feel hmm, actually no I don't want to be around that and and having the confidence now to say no I don't want to be around that negative energy so um it, it, you know, the whole journey, the whole journey actually has been enlightening in so many ways, but setting the vision for yourself and the way that you want to live your life, despite the fact that you've just had this almighty trauma shock, um, was the starting point, I think, for me. I, you know, I was, in, I was in the right place at the right time to actually do that. Might not have, might not have worked, you know, a month earlier, so... Dawn, you are amazing. Thank you for your so time, you. for sharing your affirmations with us, and for just bringing so much wisdom into the conversation. And I'm always feeling so inspired and empowered about actually taking myself to the GP in the time that we have met. And I often thought, oh, God, 
think Dawn would tell me, I know you were in my Empowered Menopause program, but I often thought, I wonder, Dawn would tell me to just pick up the blimming phone and phone my doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I was going through, you know, health concerns myself. And sometimes there is no better way than thinking, what would someone that really cares for you advise you to do? And if that person is you yourself, that's a really good starting point, isn't it? Absolutely. Dawn, my last question to you is, have you got your walking shoes out and are you joining us for the walking challenge? Yeah, I I definitely will. I've just got to figure out in my community, you know, I've got a bunch of school friends, which I think I've mentioned to you. So if anybody sees class of 76, you'll know it's us. Um, I've just got to figure out how we do it. So uh, yeah, definitely. But I am walking anyway. I can't wait. Thank you for your time and for your wisdom today and for sharing your story. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for everything. I've really enjoyed having this conversation with Dawn. I hope you really found it interesting. There are so many nuggets of just incredible information in the conversation I've had with Dawn and especially um, how to navigate when we suddenly found a treatment that is really great for us and really working. We've got to stop it. The double whammy of having to come off HRT I know affects many of you. And also how do we navigate all of these life changes and especially when we're worried about our future health. Often the worry about what might happen to us is so significant. It's, It's a real symptom that adds to all of the other physical symptoms and so it was really interesting to work with Dawn but also to just hear her story her beautiful morning affirmations and what a beautiful woman she is I hope you've also got your walking shoes out the cupboard and you've started to walk we've got about 30 fundraisers already in our Facebook community on our fundraising page people are already out there walking and raising funds for menopause and cancer but what's even better some women have already started to connect with one another I know there's a whole group of women going on a training walk somewhere in Yorkshire with each other and that is my dream come true I've been trying to find ways of how I can connect you to one another of how we can get out there share our experiences and this walking challenge is just proving to be one of those things that I think will go a really really long way in helping us not just with the physical benefit of walking but also with the connecting and the sharing of stories and doing something as a community remember you can set your own goal in the walking challenge it's most important to us that you set yourself up for success I hope you can join us I'm going to put the link to the walking challenge in the show notes as well 